discover the inherent power of God in you. Whether there are challenges or not, we are still the same. We are constant. God is constant. God does not change. And that is the life that we have received. He says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is the same life we have also received. We are also the same yesterday, today, and forever. What kind of life? We, we, we are the same because we have the same life with Christ. So when you think about God, think about you. Because everything He is. That is why He told Abraham, He said, I am your, your exceeding great reward. God gave Himself as a reward to Abraham. And we are the seed of Abraham. Therefore, we have inherited God Himself. Listen to Pastor Oti Boatim as Christ is magnified. Tell your neighbor today is a great day. Your life is going to be blessed. And give God a shout of hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lift up your hands towards the Father. Thank you, Abba Father. Oh, thank you for your ways. Your ways are just. And your ways are true. We praise you for the great redemption in Jesus Christ. We praise you. We praise you. Thank you. And we are all gathered together this blessed Sunday morning. We say thank you. Thank you for feeding us. Thank you for the utterance. Thank you for Rima. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the hidden manner. We receive your word and we are transformed by it. In Jesus' name, the Son of the living God. Amen. Can you please be seated? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You people are special people. Special people. Special people. Special people. All the pastors here are wonderful. There's nothing like being a love economy pastor. Hallelujah. <laughs> it's so nice to be a love economy pastor. If you like, ask them. It's so nice. It's so nice. Not every pastor is loved by his bishop. Yeah. <laughs> As a bishop is a sugar daddy. You understand? <laughs> he will lavish on you all the care and all the good things. Yeah. <laughs> Normally, you go to churches and the associate pastors, when they mention their senior pastor, they start frowning. They can't even talk about him about him boldly when they are outside. But love economy pastors, they, they are so crazy. They, they, are, they love their pastor bishop so much that why? Because of what he's doing. And he's a good example. Hallelujah.
give the Lord a shout for Bishop's life. And shout three times. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. And I want you to kiss him in the air. Just blow some kiss in the air. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 61. Hallelujah. Right. Isaiah chapter 61. <laughs> Hallelujah. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm speaking on what I've named trees of righteousness. Trees of righteousness. Trees of righteousness. The book of Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because, he, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach glad tidings or good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Verse 2. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all that mourn. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness. See, I'm a tree of righteousness. That they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. So God's original intention for bringing Christ was to make you a tree of righteousness. A tree of righteousness. Hallelujah. Now when we say righteousness, let me define what righteousness is. I love to define righteousness as being in the sun's place. Being in the sun's place. Say the sun's place. The sun's place. Having the acceptance of the sun. The life of the sun. The authority of the sun. The nature of the sun. Righteousness. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Bible said he had made him to be sin for us. Who do you know sin? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. That's it. It's a, it's a divine transaction. A divine tra- Let me just illustrate it. Doc, can you come? Prophet, can you come? All right. So, I've done it in uh, some of the branches. I just wanted to see how the covenant of righteousness was placed, was enacted. See, righteousness... When God made Abraham righteous, or when God, the Bible says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, instantly God cut a covenant with him because righteousness is based on covenant. Hallelujah. 
And I want you to see what Jesus has done for us. Now in those days, if you, if you go home, you can read um, Genesis 15. When two people are getting into covenant, this is how they stand. They are entering into covenant. And they stand this way because the middle path is called the path of blood. Because different animals are slain into two, part on the, on the right and part on the left. And they will walk and exchange their places. That's how a covenant is cut. When they exchange their places, what it means is that all that is yours is now mine. And all that is his is now his. They are in a covenant. That's what we see in Genesis 15. Hallelujah. So I'm using this illustration to describe this verse. You are the sinner. And this is Jesus. Perfect righteousness. And this is you. So what happened is that the Lord Jesus, who is perfectly righteous, and who is righteousness, and you are the sinner. At the cross, Jesus became you. This is it. Jesus actually took your place. And when he took your place, understand this, God saw him as you. That's why the Father had to turn his back to him on the cross. That's why he said, my God, my God, God, why has that forsaken me? Because when he saw him, he was seeing you. Because he went to the cross in your name. So all your punishments, all your judgments, all your condemnation, all your curse, all that you ever deserved, in all time, from, sons, from when you were born to when you see his face, all your sons, guilt, condemnation, was placed on him. So he became you. To bear all the punishment there is. Hallelujah. All your son's past, present, and future was placed on him. On him. Then, please come. Uh -huh. The prophet is a sinner today. <laughs> so he took his place. Praise God. But in a covenant, God must be faithful to give the sinner. His, the place of Christ. So when you believe in Jesus, God gives you his place. So right now, that's why I said righteousness, I believe, is being given the son's place. Right now, he became, Jesus became you. Now you have become him. Now the father now, when the father sees you, he doesn't see your fault, he doesn't see your weaknesses, he sees Christ because you are in him. Today, where you are, I understand that. In Psalm 89, verse 34, God said that, My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing which has gone out of my lips. God doesn't break covenant. Covenant, the highest relationships are in a covenant relationship. Now, when God commits himself into a covenant, that is, is his highest commitment. There is no more he can do to commit himself any further. So a covenant is God's final irrevocable commitment. Praise God. So in this covenant, once Jesus took the place of the sinner and bore all the punishment and judgment and condemnation, God must be just to give the sinner Jesus' place. So now that's where you are. All that Jesus deserves, the Father now puts on you. Because Jesus received all that you deserved. So right now, everything Jesus deserves is in your account. Praise God. 
Now, how, that, how much does God accept you? The same way he accepts Christ. Hallelujah. God doesn't see you in your failures. You, you are the one who sees yourself in your failure. You have to learn to see how God sees you. God doesn't see you in your failures. You are not in sin. You are in Christ. Hallelujah. So right now, you are in the son's place. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. There's a place we stand now. Are you here with me? Say, so, now, when Jesus took your place, God treated him as you. Now that you have taken his place, he's treating you as him. If you know this, your life will change. The reason you don't see is that you are not conscious of where you are and what you have become. That is what is happening. Thank you. You are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Son of God. Thank you for dying for us. All right. Hallelujah. You understand righteousness? Yeah. The kaiosune in Greek, righteousness is covenant justice. It deals with the covenant. God is just in the covenant. You see, he is just in honoring his part in the covenant. He doesn't break his part of the covenant. Covenant justice, the word for righteousness in the Greek, the kayo sune. All right, let's go to Romans 3, verse 26. Romans 3, 26. To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of him, which believeth in Jesus. Do you have the YLT, the Young's Literal Translation, and the Amplified? I know you have every version. You have every version. For you to have more fat, it should have. <laughs> All right, I said it. Look at what it says. For the showing forth of his righteousness at this present season or at this present time. For the showing forth of his righteousness in the present time. Other version said in the present season. For his being righteous and declaring him righteous who has faith in Jesus Christ. I want you to see it yourself. Say after me, for the showing forth of his righteousness at this present time, for his being righteous and declaring him righteous who has faith in Jesus Christ. Now, what it means is that for the showing forth of his righteousness at this time. Now, God all along wanted to show to men and angels how much righteous he is. You see, God wanted to show to you that he is righteous. That's why it says, for the showing forth. I think it's amplified said for the demonstration. He wanted to demonstrate his righteousness or show you how right he is. But this verse is amazing. Okay, amplified said. It was to demonstrate and prove at the present time 
in the now season that he himself is righteous and that he justifies and accepts as righteous him who has true faith in Jesus. Now let's go back to YLT. What it means is that God wanted to show how righteous he is. Hallelujah. God wanted to show how righteous he is. He wanted to show. And God come. He wanted to show how righteous he is. And the word is saying that to show how righteous he is, he makes you righteous. He makes you righteous as a proof that he is righteous. <laughs> Let me explain. He makes you righteous as a proof that he is righteous. If he does not make you righteous, he is not righteous. Now, let's assume you are in the university, you are in the first year, and you couldn't pay your school fees. Second semester, you couldn't pay. Then uh, once uh, uh, second year began, they were told that you are not going to be admitted in the school. So they sacked you. Then a, a benefactor just walked into the school, hears your case and decides to pay for you. Now he doesn't pay for the year. He overpays and makes down payment for any money you will need from second year to PhD level. Hallelujah. So he lays down the money he, and gives, he gives extra. He overpays whatever you need. Now, now that the debt is paid, if the school sacks you, tell it has been paid, but the school says, no, no, still go. There's no payment. You know what happens? The beza is unjust. True or false? The payment is done, but he's not accepting you back into the school. He's unjust. But if he brings you back into school, because the debt is paid, he, he has done something right and something just. Is that not so? So by admitting you back into school, your admission is a proof of his justice and his righteousness. Are <laughs> you here with me? Jesus haven't taken your place and paid all your debts, past, present, future. If God does not admit you, as his righteousness. You know what he has done? He has become unjust. So to prove that he is righteous, he had to make you righteous as a proof that he's righteous. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. That, that's what the verse means. It's amazing. So whenever you say, I am the righteousness of God, you are saying that God is righteous. He has done something right. Whenever you say, I'm a sinner, you understand what you are saying? You are saying he didn't do, he didn't do something right. Now, if God does not declare you righteous, you know what it means? It means God, the death of Jesus, he wasn't satisfied with the death of his son. That means that the fees that was paid, the fee that was paid, it could be that if he doesn't claim righteous, he's saying the fee now nah, it wasn't viable. But if the fee was paid and he endorsed it and he does not declare righteous, he has dishonored the payment. <laughs> Do you get me? 
That is why your righteousness is based on a, st- a strong foundation. That is why the gospel is all about righteousness. Romans 1 verse 16 and 17. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believes. To the Jews first and to the Gentiles. The Bible says, for therein is the righteousness of... In what? In the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed, unveiled. For therein. So the gospel, what is the gospel? It is the unveiling of the righteousness of God. Show, you, show me a man who has preached the gospel and I'll show you a man who has preached the righteousness of God. Because the gospel unveils, reveals the righteousness of God. If you have not preached the righteousness of God, you've not preached the gospel. Because that is what the gospel reveals. Praise God. Say God is just and right. So, by you saying you are, you are righteous, you are saying God is just and right. He has done the right thing. And God wants to tell the universe at this present time that he's just and right. Whenever you say you, I'm, I'm the righteousness of God, you are saying he's just and right. He has honored the terms of the payment. And he has honored the covenant. Hallelujah. Say, I am the righteousness of God. Doc, thank you. Are you here? Yeah. But I'm talking about trees of righteousness. Trees. That they might be called trees of righteousness. Now, tree speaks of establishment. This is, uh-huh. is it NIV? Some versions actually says oaks of righteousness. Other versions says terebinth of righteousness. Terebinth of righteousness. Right. Amplified says they will be called oaks of righteousness. See, I'm an oak of righteousness. Now, Every believer is the righteousness of God. But not every believer is an oak of righteousness. Because oak speaks of establishment. Not every believer is established in the consciousness of who he is in Christ. Uh So the tree of righteousness actually speaks of establishment. Being established in the consciousness of who you are in Christ and what Christ has made you. What I demonstrated here and living in that light. The oak is so strong, the oak is so strong that the root system equals the branch system. The root extends as further as its branches. Yeah, so the, the, the root is deeply drenched in the earth. And it will surprise you that in an ordinary day, when nothing is happening, the oak releases 40 gallons of water into the atmosphere by means of transpiration. In an ordinary day, 40 gallons of water. So when you are conscious of your righteousness in Christ, in an ordinary day, when you are even sleeping in your house, you are making an impact. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> making an impact. But God wants you to be called to be an oak, a tree, a terebinth of righteousness. In Isaiah 54, verse 14, it says, In righteousness shalt thou be established. Yeah. You need to be established in righteousness. Established in what Jesus has done. I'm not talking about self-righteousness or, or your own righteousness. I'm talking about you being the righteousness of God, what Jesus did. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, how can it be established? The establishment comes primarily from the consciousness of righteousness. Being conscious of it comes from the consciousness of righteousness. The consciousness and the confession of righteousness. Life actually grows. The more your life grows, the, the more you consciousness is everything. Consciousness brings results, it brings proofs. Your establishment comes in the consciousness of your righteousness in Christ. That's how it comes. Your establishment, it comes in the consciousness of your. What are the proofs that you are conscious of his righteousness? If you are conscious of his righteousness, you wouldn't allow guilt and condemnation in your life. Whenever you are living in guilt and condemnation, you are not conscious of his righteousness. No. Are you here with me? Yeah. When Jesus died, your guilt died. Including, including the guilt of what you have not yet done. Can you imagine? Isaiah 53, verse 10. Say, my guilt died. So guilt and condemnation, you should, you should never allow it. It's not of God. If you are guilty and condemned, you are saying Jesus didn't pay all. Didn't pay all. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him when that he has put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering an offering now the word offering here is asham never forget the word asham in hebrew is asham a-s-h-a-m asham now asham means guilt at the same time it means guilt offering so here is the word for guilt when thou shalt make his soul a guilt offering. It, it's also called trespass offering. The Hebrew says guilt offering or trespass offering. So guilt and guilt offering is the same word. Let me make an illustration. Can someone come for a quick illustration? All right. Now, can you bow down like a like a sheep? All right. Thank you. You bring your sheep to the priest. Okay. Now, you are the one who is guilty. You've done so many bad things, so you are guilty. Uh -huh. When you lay... So guilt and guilt offering is the same word in the Hebrew. Two opposite things have the same name. <laughs> guilt and the offering for the guilt is the same name. So I'm the one who is guilty. But when I lay my hands on the offering... All my guilt leaves me and enters into it. That's a trespass offering. All my guilt is transferred by the laying on of hands. We call it identification to the sheep. So now, I was ashamed. I was guilty. I've transferred all my guilt to the offering. So it becomes the same thing. And it dies. So when it dies, my guilt is dead. When Jesus was on the cross, the Bible says in Isaiah that he became your asham. Every guilt died. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hallelujah. The Bible says there is now therefore not one condemnation against those who 
are in Christ Jesus. The Greek says, not one condemnation. There is not one condemnation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You need to see how God sees you because of the cross, the sacrifice. There's something you have to understand that God is always seeing you. It's amazing that it is only the word of God that can cause you to see the way God sees you. Many don't see how God sees them. They see their weaknesses, they see their feebleness, but God, God doesn't see you like that. Praise God. If you read Romans chapter 3, verse 24, being justified freely. Justified means to be declared righteous. Being declared righteous freely. Being justified. Now in the Greek, the word justified is present passive. It's in the present tense in the Greek. And it's in the passive participle. It has a, it has a voice. The Greek, in the Greek word has voices. It is called passive voice. Present passive participle. The word justified. You know what it means? God is constantly imputing righteousness on you at every time, every second, every minute. Being constantly... <laughs> so the, the, the Greek tense says that God is at every time. Present tense in Greek is an action in the present time in a continual fashion. So something God is constantly and perpetually and continuously doing. So he's continuously imputing righteousness on you at every time. Freely, it has nothing to do with what you do, it's what he did. Hmm. Constant morning, afternoon, evening. And God wants you to see yourself like that. That is why in the old testament there was something called sin offering and bent offering. Now we, we spoke of that in the Fortizo church and also Takrade. The sin offering describes is about your sin. Okay, when you send the offering, please come again. Yeah, with a sin offering, can you be the sheep again? Thank you. The sin offering, when you send the offering to the priest and you lay hands on the sin offering, all your sins are transferred to the animal and it is killed. But that's not the bent offering. The bent offering is about Christ, our righteousness. So when you lay hands on the bent offering, all the innocence and the righteousness of the animal rather comes to you. So with the sin offering, your sin is going. With the bent offering, the righteousness of your sacrifice comes on you. You know, have you seen the differences? So when we say bent offering, it's about the beauties and the excellence of Christ imputed unto you, his righteousness. And your sin offering is about your sin. Thank you very much. Being a faithful sacrifice. All right. But there's a, 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 a principle in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the sin offerings were offered once a while. Once a while. The bent offering, according to the, to the Levitical economy, had to be offered every day. They offered it morning and evening, every day. It, the bent offering was called the morning sacrifice and the evening sacrifice. So at every 9 a.m., they had to offer a bent offering. Every 3 p.m., they had to offer a bent offering. That is why the Jews pray twice a day, 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Because they believe that the bent offering is the righteousness of uh, and, and for that which pleases God. As the sweet aroma ascends, 
they believe that their prayer mixes with the aroma and it ascends to God. So Peter and James went to go to, to, to the temple at the hour of what? Prayer. Now, I'm not telling you to pray nine and three. You know, now you can pray at every time. <laughs> but the morning sacrifice, every 9 a.m., they had to offer burnt offering. Every 3 p.m., they had to offer burnt offering. And in Leviticus 6, the Bible, God says the fire must never go out. The fire on the burnt altar. So every time there is burning. Why? <laughs> this was the shadows and types. Even in that, God was constantly and perpetually seeing the beauty of Christ and the righteousness of Christ as a covering over all of them. So God was constantly seeing them as righteous. The only time God became angry with Israel is when they went into idolatry and forgot about the atonement and the offerings. And God's anger came upon them. But as much as the offerings were going, God was at peace with them. So why did God allow burnt offerings to be once a sin offering, to be once a while, but the burnt offering to be daily, not even once, twice a day? And a fire must ever burn. Why? Because God wants you to be conscious of your righteousness morning and evening. Morning and evening. In fact, check your Bible. Maybe you've not seen it. There's an expression, continual burnt offering. That's how it is called. It is used 20 times in the Old Testament. Continual burnt offering. If you go home, just type continual burnt offering. You know why it is called continual burnt offering? It never stops continual bent offering. So you must be conscious of who you are in Christ. So I recommend that you listen to the messages from um, Paddy and um, Kasua. I spoke on everlasting righteousness. Then you'll understand what I'm talking about. You understand? When Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, he said, oh, read the letter that went to Laodicea and let them also read your letter. So the message that went to the church which is at Kasua, Like as far river minister is here, so yeah, <laughs> you have to listen to it. You will never be condemned again in your, in your life. You will never come to a place where you think, "Hey, I've sinned. God has something against me." No, all is gone. Until you 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 live in the consciousness that all is gone, you cannot live well for Him. All right. So it's all about being established in righteousness. You want to be, you must be a tree of righteousness, an oak established. You are not moved. What is the proof that you are established in righteousness? Isaiah 54, verse, verse 14. In righteousness shall thou be established, and thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear. <laughs> thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear. When you are established in righteousness, you are an oak of righteousness. The Bible says you'll be far from oppression. Why will you be far from oppression? He gives the reason you'll be far from oppression. For thou shalt not fear. So the proof that you are established in righteousness is that fear is gone out of your life. Fear of approaching God is gone. Fear of demons. Fear of Satan. Fear of witches. Fear of cockroaches. Fear of darkness. Fear of taking plain. Fear, everything. anxious fears of many sorts. Fear of man. Fear of circumstances. Fear of situations. Fear of your beloved. Fear of your husband. <laughs> fear of being afraid. 
<laughs> fear of being on the, in the, on the road. Fear of sitting in a car when Pastor Mark is speeding. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> All right. So, fear is gone. And when there is fear, you are oppressed. And sickness is an oppression. Depression is an oppression. Yeah. In one of the churches, churches I gave an example of Smith Wigglesworth had that one day he was in his bedroom and he heard a sound in his hall. So he woke up from his bed and went to the hall. He saw that Satan himself is standing there. He saw Satan himself standing at the hall. If it was you, what would you do? He saw that the song, the, the song the choir sang. Power. Because God lives in us. I'm sure you will run away with a God in you. <laughs> You say, oh, oh, Satan, I've done nothing. I've done nothing. <laughs> yeah. Now he saw him. Wigglesworth, Smith Wigglesworth saw him. He said, ah, I thought it was someone important. He didn't pray against him. He didn't bind him. Said, ah, I thought it was someone very important. Ah. I went back to his bedroom and slept. Satan was offended. His pride was bruised. Offended, <laughs> he was offended. Satan went like, ah, The guy has despised me, <laughs> he didn't even bind me, he didn't do anything, he just left me. Even how you respond when you dream shows whether you establish righteousness or not. Bishop Oedipo said he dreamt and he was, in a, he, he was in a coffin, buried in a coffin. In the coffin, and they had near the coffin. He woke up from sleep and said, Satan, it will shock you, I will not pray. <laughs> it will shock you, I will not pray. He just knew. He, knew, he knows who he is. One day he said, Satan, you are a bastard. <laughs> Hallelujah. Luke 6 verse 44. Luke 6 44. Every tree is known by its own fruit. If you are a tree, every good tree brings forth fruit. True or false? So if you are a tree of righteousness, you have to bring forth fruits of righteousness. Every tree is known by its fruit. Now, for instance, if you stand by under a tree and you are wondering, ah, what kind of tree is this? Then you see the fruit. This is mango. You see the mango fruit. Then you know that it's a mango tree. Or you stand and you see pineapple, pineapple, pineapple fruit. We are arguing. Someone says, no, it's not. It's purple. Another person says, no, it's pineapple. We, we just have to go and see the fruit. The fruit will tell us what manner of tree the tree is. So we see apple fruit. Then we know that the tree is an apple tree. Praise God. How can we know that you are a tree of righteousness? By bringing forth fruits of righteousness. Fruits of righteousness. But if you're not a tree, you wouldn't even bring... Some of God's people are not trees. They are just um, a shrub of righteousness. All of us are God's righteousness. Perfect. But you have to grow in the consciousness of who you are. 
the consciousness and the establishment of that knowledge of righteousness makes you a tree and causes you to bring forth fruit because every good tree brings forth fruit so what are the fruits of righteousness the expression fruit of righteousness is used four times in the new testament uh-huh. but two of them uses fruits in a, they are used in a singular sense fruits without s and the other two is fruits is with s so there is fruit of righteousness and there is fruits of righteousness all right all right hebrews 12 verse 11 Hebrews 12, 11. Now no chastening for the present seemed to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yielded the peaceable fruit. Single. In a singular sense. Fruit of righteousness. Peaceable fruit of righteousness. James 3, 18. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace. Hallelujah. So this fruit is without S. All right. Let's go to Philippians 1 verse 11. Being filled with what? The fruits. So this fruit has S. This is plural. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus unto the glory and the praise of God. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 10. Now he that minister, ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the what the fruits of your righteousness. All right, please do you understand. So there is one fruit. The main fruit of righteousness is one peace. Peace is a fruit, singular fruit of righteousness. Then there are the fruits of righteousness. Hallelujah. All right, so. The main fruit of righteousness is called shalom, peace. What it means is that if you know that Christ is your righteousness and you live by it, you produce the fruit of righteousness, which is peace. And it's not just, the Hebrew peace is shalom. Shalom is not just peace of mind. Aha. It's also the peace in the body and peace in your pocket. Yeah, that's shalom. Shalom is an all-encompassing word in the Hebrew. Now, shalom actually means well-being, wholeness, health, hmm, abundance, wealth, rest, completion, fullness, friendship. You have about ten words that make up shalom in the Hebrew. <laughs> All of this is the fruit of righteousness. So if you know that I am in Christ's place, the Father treats me like he would, have, he would treat Christ because I'm in a son's place. Can you imagine if I'm in a car or you are in a plane and you say, Father, thank you. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. You know what you are saying? You are telling the Father that he's entitled to treat you like the way he would have treated Christ if Christ was in your place. Yeah. You are saying that now you deserve what Christ deserves because... Christ received what you deserved. And God doesn't break covenant. That is what it means if you say righteousness. You are in the sun's place. You can just, that's when you are going to sleep. And uh, see, sometimes you can't really pray when you are going to sleep. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's enough to declare and sleep. Yeah. 
or you can say in Jesus' name, I sleep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't struggle to pray long if the, you know, yeah. oh, Father, 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 Father. One guy was sleeping and he was struggling to pray. In Jesus' name, I bind you, Jesus. I bind. I'm. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he was just binding Jesus. Another guy too. Satan, I bless you. I praise you. <laughs> yeah. Father, I forgive you. Father. <laughs> so, the fruit of righteousness is in the word is friendship. I'm telling you that if you know this righteousness, your intimacy with God will be stronger. Your friendship with God will be stronger. Because you, you know that God is not judging you because he judged Christ for you. You know how God has, God is accepting you the same way he accepted, he accepted his son. Because you are accepted in the beloved. You are in him. So your relationship and intimacy is perfect. Health is yours. Peace of mind, rest, fullness, wealth is yours. These are all the fruits of peace, shalom. Then there, is, there, are, there are so many fruits. We can't, in this verse, one of the fruits, this is fruits of righteousness, there are a lot. Giving is part of the fruit of righteousness. Now, if you start from verse 9, verse 9 is giving to the poor. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness remained forever. The next verse. So, when you give, if you are conscious of this righteousness, you become so generous. Generosity is the fruit of righteousness. You give to the poor. Not only that, giving to the poor is called almsgiving. But this verse is also speaking of seed sowing. When they speak of the church, you want to give. Every building project, you are, you are there. Number one, I want to give to God's house. I want to give to pastor. I want to give to the poor. If you are conscious of this righteousness, giving. And the more you give, God multiply <laughs> the fruit of your righteousness. What it means is that he multiplies your seed sown. You pray and pray and pray. You pray that this year I'm going to give this seed. Do you know that if you are faithful, what happens is that the next year you wouldn't give that same seed. The Bible says God will multiply that seed. So you have enough seed to sow. Then you also multiply the fruit of your, your, your righteousness. You realize that if, if you are feeding one, uh, two families, after five years you are feeding 50 families. Oh, oh that's how it is. You, you help people, you bless people. Generosity. And you know it is not you. You know it is him. It is not you. The fruit of righteousness deals with your care for others. Your concern for others. Your love for others. Look at what Jesus did. Your integrity. Your honesty. How your love for others. Your love. Praying for the sick. Healing the sick. All of this are the fruit of righteousness. All of this. But what I'm talking about today is also, I want to bring to your light some fruits that are written for us to know in Isaiah 61 verse 3. So the fruits of righteousness, the plural one, is, is so many. 
fruits of righteousness. Fruits. If you are conscious of this righteousness, you, you serve God better. You even love God better. Yeah. You will reign in life. You will reign in life. Much more they who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall, the Greek says, they shall gain in life. Yeah, you will rule and reign. You can reign over addictions. The only way to reign over pornography and, and masturbation and gossip, you know, some people gossip is an addiction, is to know that you are the righteousness of God. It, it's amazing. Know that all your sins have been forgiven. Know that God is not holding anything against you. That's all. That, that's it. Know that God is constantly seeing you as righteous in his eyes. That's what Jesus did. This is God's method. Man's method is try a little harder. Oh no. The Bible says if righteousness came by you earning it or you trying, if righteousness, I do not frustrate the grace of God. If righteousness came or come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Christ is dead in vain. Galatians 2 verse 20. If I could become righteous by, by living well myself, then it is useless Christ came. He came because I couldn't live well. So he came to give me his righteousness so that by that righteousness, I can manifest his life. Hallelujah. Alright. So let's back to Isaiah 50, 61, verse 3. <laughs> to appoint unto them that morning Zion, to give, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness. We have fruits of righteousness here. There are three. In this verse, we have three fruits of righteousness. Do you see it? Number one is beauty. Number two is joy. Number three is praise. Beauty, joy, and praise. The proof that you are a tree of righteousness is that you walk in beauty, you walk in joy, and you walk in praise. He says that if you do these things, your name, your name will be called tree of righteousness. Uh-huh. These things are what shows that you are a tree of righteousness. So what does it mean? The fruit tells what the what every tree is known by its fruit. So when we see the fruit, we know the tree. So when we see the oil of joy, when we see beauty, when we see praise, we know that this is a tree of righteousness. That's what the verse is. <laughs> Hallelujah. So if we are working in no joy, then you are a strap of righteousness. <laughs> You are his righteousness, but you are not living in the consciousness of what Christ has made. And you get a consciousness through the word. If you are in ashes, now let me explain. If you, your life is not full of praise, you are not established in righteousness. But I know it's going to manifest in all your lives. Praise God. The first one, the first fruit is beauty. He says beauty for ashes. Now, the word ashes here is the word for worthlessness. Someone who is always feeling worthless. And the word beauty here is the word for crown. A diadem, crown. It speaks of dignity and royalty. Uh-huh. So, one of the fruits of righteousness is you walk in dignity. You walk in royalty. Beautiful. Ashes. The word ashes there is the word for worthlessness. There are some people who feel, they always feel worthless, though they are saved, though they are believers. You know how they feel worthless? 
inferiority complex. They look at their family background. How poor their mother is, how poor their father is, they see themselves less privileged. So when they come around, around people who are smiling and happy, they see them suspicious. They are suspicious. Every time you're just looking back, hey, for me, I'm not worth it. I don't deserve it. Always hopeless. Always in despair. Always depressed. Looking back. And you can be a believer and still, if you don't get the right message, you, you live that way. Your reference point will be, oh, my family. Oh, look at my house. Oh. You see, when I was young, I was wondering why. I was born in Cape Coast. And uh, I was wondering why I was not born in Chicago. Now, I, 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 <laughs> or Cape Town. So, some path. Why? 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 Why Ghana? Why Cape Coast? Why my family? Why, why, why a poor family? So some of you, if you had a choice to change your families... Or if you had a choice to choose your families before you came... Like some families would be overpopulated. <laughs> like which family will you choose? It will surprise you that you'd have chosen some families... You wouldn't have been where you are. You wouldn't have been born again. But like by now, you've done some transgender. <laughs> There's enough money to fool. Too much money to do anything you want. Like by now, you are saying there is no God. You are an atheist. Yeah. You could have been saying there is no God. Yeah. On that day when we stand before, when we go home, we we'll just clap and say, Lord God, your ways are perfect. Your ways are perfect. Your ways are perfect. Yeah. Yeah. There are some people, they can't even take you to their homes. Yeah. I'm guilty. I was guilty. Because my ashram has died. That is my guilt offering. He does this. I, I'm taking my friend. I, I'll let them stand somewhere and tell them I'm coming. And I'll go and come. It's not only me, or your bishop too was guilty. <laughs> yeah. So you don't make reference to those things. So when you are in Christ, you are different. You are different. Now, if you start considering your life based on where you came from, your family background, the Bible calls that the flesh. See, the flesh manifests in two ways. Inferiority complex and superiority complex. They are all flesh. Philippians 3 verse 3. We are are the circumcision which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Now, from here, Paul began to talk about what it means to have confidence in the flesh. He began to talk about his pedigree, his family background, his achievements, and all that. He calls flesh. So now, there are some people, when they go around people, they, they are confident, and they feel that people accept them because their father is wealthy. 
So you have the mindset that you are accepted because of your father's wealth. It is flesh. It is flesh. That's, that, that, that's, not, that's not true Christianity. Uh, there are some people, especially ladies, when they go out, they know they are accepted and they are admired because of their beauty. Yeah. They know they accept, your acceptance is based on your physical looks. And they are so confident because they don't care in life because they know that their beauty can compensate for their failure. Yeah, even if they fail, they are beauty. So, the way, look at the way all men look at me. Yeah, so to them, their acceptance is based on their looks, it's flesh. I'm not saying don't look nice. But it's a wrong foundation. There are others, their worth is based on the fact that they are bank managers, chartered accountants, pilots, so when they are coming, uh, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Even class rep, eh? Hey. I, I know a guy, when he became a class rep, his working style changed. <laughs> So when you think that you are somebody based on your position, how about when you lose it? The true life in Christ, your acceptance and your worth is based on the fact of who you are in Christ. Now, now that's, that's what brings the favor. I'm telling you that if you know you are the righteousness of God in Christ, you are a new creation, work in that consciousness. That's how God wants us to live our lives. Yeah. Do a nice makeup, but be conscious that you are, you, are, you are his righteousness. You understand? I'm not saying from now on, when you're doing the makeup, no, and say, I'm God's righteousness. That's not what I'm saying. There are people who always take things to extreme. <laughs> I'm not going to bath again. Because such were some of you, but ye are washed. <laughs> you know, these things we are joking with, it has happened in history before. Yeah. 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 Around AD, AD 400, five, AD 500, there were people we called them the desert voices. Began with um, Antony the Hermit. The, the Hermit. He was in the desert of um, Egypt and he bathed once a year. And he was in the desert only praying and fasting. He ate once or twice a week. Yeah, so <laughs> there's no new thing under the sun. Uh, if you don't want to bath, I, I can give you examples. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. Beauty for ashes. So this beauty is beauty in Christ, royalty. You see, who you are in Christ, what he has made you. Walk in that consciousness. Walk in it. And that will make you accept others. Now, if your consciousness, if your confidence is in your looks and in your pocket, 
That is how you will accept and treat others. I'm telling you. But if it is in Christ, you will embrace everyone. Hallelujah. The oil of joy for mourning. The oil of joy for mourning. I won't talk about joy because last year I spoke about joy. Because you people are joyful people. Now that you are saying more time, how do you know if I'm not coming to begin my message? <laughs> Because my message is the garment of praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. But you people are lovely. It's one of the best churches in the whole world. I went to preach in a certain church three services they told me that the first service you have to preach for 10 minutes and the second service you will do 20 minutes at least add more time yeah. yeah so there are some churches in Ghana the preaching time is 10 minutes and the second service which is uh, you have a lot of time it's, 10 minutes, it's 20 minutes so I finished preaching and they used 45 minutes for announcement yeah. No wonder it's reflecting in the lives of the people. Yeah. Meanwhile, they are going home and they'll be on, they'll watch movies for hours. That's why I say you people are wonderful people. Wonderful people. Hallelujah. Yeah. Don't worry, we'll not keep long too much. I intentionally said that so that you would just do something for to, <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you. So one of the Yes. The garment of praise is very important. So these are the fruits of righteousness. You you walk in beauty. With not worthlessness, not inferiority complex, and not superiority complex, but who you are in Christ. You are confident. Your confidence is based on who he has made you. Then there is the oil of joy for mourning. Then there is the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. A garment of praise. A garment of praise. The garment of praise. Hallelujah. You see... There are three garments in the Bible. There are three garments. You have to be wearing all those garments in your life. Three garments. The first one, every believer is wearing it. But the last two is, is by choice. Three garments. Do you want to know them? All right. The first one is the robe of righteousness. Isaiah 61 verse 10. The moment you give your life to Christ is given you. Yeah, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. 
my God. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with a garment of salvation. It's the same thing. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. It's the same thing. The garment of salvation is the robe of righteousness. The moment you give your life to Christ, you have it. Then there is another garment. It is called the cloth of humility. 1 Peter 5 verse 5. The cloth of humility. 1 Peter 5 verse 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourself to the elder. Yea, all of you, be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. So, there are three garments. One is the robe of righteousness. The second is the cloth of humility. The third is, is the garment of praise. Years ago, I, I read a book. Uh, one who had a heavenly encounter. And the person was taken to heaven and the person really said that in heaven... There were three different garments. He said the saints in heaven, actually, actually, they wear three different garments. And he said the first one was a robe of righteousness. Then he said the second one was the garment of praise. And the third one was the cloth of humility. So I read it, but I believe it because it's scriptural. Because the scripture tells us there are three garments. Praise God. Now, but many believers are not wearing the clothes of humility. It's by choice. You have to wear it. I read another encounter of a man who went to heaven. And he said that um, he gave an amazing story. Joined at a final quest. He said as he was, he had an encounter and um, all the angels, he saw many angels, but later on the angels told him that that is why when you were passing, we were all saluting you. We just do this and salute. And he said, I never saw you saluting me. Said, yeah, well, every angel saw him and saluted him. Why? And the angel told him, the, the reason we were saluting you was because of what you were wearing. The cloth of humility. And they told him that that is the highest medal, the highest rank in heaven. That's the highest rank in heaven. Those who come to heaven wearing that Cloth. <laughs> they, they are the top. They, they are the highest. Yeah. But he said, as he was wearing it, he looks. It doesn't look attractive. You wouldn't want to wear it, actually. So, because they saw it physically, in a physical, what, we, what is spiritual. So, it doesn't look. But when you wear it, every angel salutes you. Because it's the highest rank. And they told him that when he comes to the earth, he shouldn't lose that, that garment. Praise God. Yeah, so humility is one of the clothes. You must put on. Tell your neighbor, put on the cloth of humility. So you must be wearing all of these three. Yeah. 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 That's why you have to follow your bishop. He's a very humble man. Don't be proud. Hallelujah. You lose it. The garment of praise. The Bible says the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You know the spirit of heaviness, heaviness in the Bible is actually depression. The word heaviness is depression. And depression is a spirit. Depression is a spirit. The Bible says the garment of praise for in place of the spirit of heaviness. 
when you have the garment of praise, you cannot walk in depression. Why are many so many depressed, weighed down, discouraged, downcast, worried, anxiety, hopeless, despair, in despair, despondency, disorientation, just bizarre. <laughs> when you are in praise, these things doesn't come. Always thankful, always praiseful. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That is the spirit of depression. Once upon a time, Saul, the Bible says that an evil spirit tormented Saul. The solution was that they brought David and he had just had to play and, and just sing praises unto God. Just playing. And the Bible says that the spirit, that evil spirit, left Saul. Because it came on him so strong that he even was casting javelin. Now, the English says an evil spirit from the Lord, but in the Hebrew, the spirit of sadness. The spirit of sadness came upon Saul. He was so sad. Just by praise, the, the, the spirit of sadness was exorcised. So, my brother, my sister, if you are thankful, you wouldn't walk in depression, anxiety, worry, and all of this, this kind of despair. How do you work? How do you have? How do you possess the garment of praise? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. That's how to live your life. You see, thanking God for everything in the day. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Your name be exalted forever. I praise you, Lord. Oh, thank you. Thank you for my shoe. Thank you for my socks. Thank you for my shirt. Thank you for my mother. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. Always thankful. That's how to put on the garment of praise. As we put it on, oh my, my, the spirit of heaviness of God will be gone. That's how to put it on. There's one heavenly book. The person was taken to heaven and he saw different categories of angels. Some were active, but a lot of them, he saw them were sitting down unemployed. So he asked, ah, why are you busy and these, these angels are not? They are idle and doing nothing. And they, the angels told him, told him that these angels are responsible for the praise of God's people. They are praise angels. He says they are quiet because those to whom they have been assigned are not saying thank you. That was the answer. But the moment they began, they begin to say thank you, Jesus, thank you, Lord. Then they become active. Then they start working on your praise, shifting things and putting things in order. Yeah, yeah. There are praise angels assigned to you alone. Now, when you put on a garment of praise, God will release special angels of praise just for you. Hallelujah. You should be saying thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I want to show you two people I know in the Bible who had a garment of praise. Yeah. One is called David. Of course, David had that garment of praise. Yeah. He had a garment of praise. David praised far more than he prayed. 
Now, David prayed only three times a day, but he praised seven times a day. Psalm 55, verse 17. Psalm 55, verse 17. Praise is of a higher potency than prayer. Praise is higher than prayer. Praise is higher than fasting. Praise is higher than faith. Praise is the highest form of faith. It's higher than faith. Yeah. Look at how many times he prayed. Evening and morning and noon will I pray and cry aloud. So he prayed evening, 6 p.m. The Hebrew evening is 6 p.m. Morning is 6 a.m. Noon is 12. So he prayed three times. Psalm 119 verse 164. Psalm 119 verse 164. Seven times a day do I praise, praise thee because of thy righteous judgment. But the number, you know, in Hebrew, the, the number seven actually is for completion and perfection. It doesn't necessarily mean it's seven, but it means that it's perfect. He does it constantly. Because in Psalm 34 verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall what continually be in my mouth. So in Psalm 34 verse 1, we see it is what? All times. All times. He had a garment of praise. Always praising. Always saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And you know, ah, oh, David. I love David. And that must be your life. First Thessalonians 2 verse 13. It must be your life. For this cause also, thank we God without season. It shows you the manner of life we need to have. Thank we God without season. Now, the word without season is the word for hacking cough. Someone who is coughing. <coughs> now, if I'm sure everyone has had that problem before, true of us. But if you have coughing, you have challenges with coughing, and you are leaving your home, you never plan and say, today I'm going to cough ten times a day. Do you do that? No, you don't plan. You can cough anywhere, everywhere. In fact, you can even be before your boss and, <coughs> oh, excuse, excuse me, sir. <coughs> another one will come. That is the Greek word for giving thanks without ceasing. That means, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So as you are walking, you can walk in and thank God for everything you see. It is a powerful. Hmm. Someone I knew couldn't breathe. Then I realized, hey, I've not even thanked God for my breath. I saw someone who couldn't walk. And when I left his presence, I was conscious of thanking God for my legs. <laughs> it's amazing. Met someone who didn't have appetite. I said, hmm, I have to thank God for appetite. <laughs> You have been eating gobe, eating food, tilapia. <laughs> and you enjoy the food. This one, someone called me. An elderly man, he's blind. Have you thanked God for your eyes? Thank God for everything. You've been thinking about money, uh, you forget about all important things. 
He says, without season, hacking cough, it must be so much in your spirit that you flow spontaneously from the spare of the moment without previous contemplation. Uh-huh. It's like a spiritual reflex. It's spontaneous. You're always bursting forth in praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank God you sat in the car. Every gift you receive, be praised for. Every. Someone called me today and said, as you are thankful, may your tank be full. And I release that on you. As you are thankful, your tank will be full. Let's talk about David. Hallelujah. David is such a a man who had a garment. So in the spirit, as we are here, all the angels or God open your, your eyes, some of us are wearing the garment, others are not. Those who are wearing, the proof that you are wearing the garment is that all your life, thank you Lord, thank you Jesus, you praise God, you, not in church. I, I go for retreats, spend time with the Lord. When I go, so the, the only thing sometimes, sometimes I go and do is to praise and dance before God. That's what I, the major thing I do. 90% of my, of my prayer is praise and thanksgiving. I don't have prayer requests, actually. <laughs> yeah. The rest is intercessions. I decide for others and I make declarations, speaking to my life, speaking to the lives of those who are with me. Speak, speak. But majority of my prayer life is praise. Thanks. Dynamic praise. Just praise. Yeah. Yeah. So when you see me in my room, if like go and take a special telescope, and I'll show you where, I'll, and just come in. You see me dancing like my head. I don't have a head. That's how it's supposed to be. Yeah, it's powerful. And thank God for everything. I thank God for every money I've, I've received, every money I give, everything. So there's enough to thank God about. Now, David, I love David. Let, let's talk about David. Hallelujah. Have you ever heard of the tabernacle of David? Yeah, the tabernacle of David. Now, the tabernacle of David is two in one, it's twofold. There is the Davidic kingdom tabernacle and the Davidic praise tabernacle. The Davidic kingdom tabernacle, Isaiah 16, verse 5, speaks of the kingdom, his kingship, the kingdom. Davidic kingdom tabernacle is the kingdom, and in mercy shall the throne be established as a throne, and he shall sit in it. He shall sit it in truth in the tabernacle of David, judging and seeking judgment and hasting righteousness. Then there is the Davidic priest tabernacle, which is the, 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 the Davidic order of worship. The Davidic priest tabernacle is about the priesthood. The Davidic kingdom tabernacle is about the kingdom. So we have kings and priests, the kingship and the priesthood. We have inherited both because we are priests after the order of Melchizedek. We are kings and we are priests and we are the royal priesthood. And that's what David demonstrated. But I'm talking about the Davidic priest tabernacle. You know what David did? He set a tent 
it was called the tabernacle of David and put in it the Ark of the Covenant. In Moses' tabernacle, there was the outer court, the holy place, and the holies of holies. The high priest goes there once a year. But rabbi, the rabbis tell us they put a rope in his waist. Because if he goes, he may not survive. And if he dies, they can't go inside to bring him, because, lest they also die. So they have to put the rope in his waist and pull him to the outer court. But with the Davidic tabernacle, there was no veil. There was no outer court. There was no holy place. It was just the ark. And they are there worshipping before the ark. Which is a picture of the New Testament. The Davidic priest tabernacle was prophesied to be restored in the New Testament. Act chapter 15. Verse 15 and 16. The conference in Jerusalem. And to this agree the word of the prophet as it is written. After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David. which is That is when Peter preached in the house of Cornelius. And they got saved. And they affirmed the scripture. That the tabernacle of David is going to be restored, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof and will set it up, that the residue of, of men might seek after the Lord. All right. You know what David did in, in the tabernacle? He appointed 4,000 singers. And these were Levites who were singing 24 7 and praising God. 4,000. So, they were singing before God and praising God 24 hours a day. Seven days a week. But they were in courses. They were in three courses. The Geshonite, the Kukuatite, and, and the Merarite. So, these three. So, they come in courses. So, you come and praise from this time to this time. Whilst you're ending, the second takes over. Takes over. And there were 4,000. And they were not working. David himself paid all of them their monthly salary. Can you imagine how crazy David was? He was paying 4,000 people <laughs> just to be singing and praising God. 24-7. They were not working. They were being paid. Hmm. Not only that, he made he himself invented and made his own musical instrument and gave to them and they were playing it. And they were praying prison. The church has had many prayer movements, but we've not had much of praise movement. Can you imagine if we can even have four hundred people who do this for for a, 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 a little time? But the prophecy says that this tabernacle is going to be restored. It is falling down. It is God's heart. It says, I will raise it up and build the ruins thereof. Hmm. And they are praising God. And what amazes me is that the three leaders of this tabernacle, the priests, there were three, three leaders. Asaph, Haman, and Jeduthan. Asaph, Haman, and Jeduthan. These were the leaders. Yeah. All of this is First Corinthians 23 and 25. You can find them there. And the leaders of the, the choir, the priests, the Bible says they were prophets. The Bible says they were seers. They were seers. You see, 
The music ministry is under the prophetic ministry. The music ministry is not separated from the prophetic ministry. Okay, let, let me show you a proof. First Samuel 10 verse 5. And after that, thou shalt come to the hill of God, where is the garrison of the Philistines. And it shall come to pass, when thou art come hither to the city, thou shalt meet a company of prophets, coming down from the high place with psaltery, and a tablet, and a pipe, and a harp, before them, and they shall prophesy. So, it was acquainted with this. Second Chronicles 3 verse 15. First Chronicles 3 verse 15. Alright, let me, let me leave this one. Praise God. Now, the Bible tells us that these three leaders, Asaph, Jeduthun, Haman, the Bible says in First Chronicles 23, that 25, that their sons, that their sons were those who played the musical instrument. The Bible says that their sons prophesied with the symbols. Hmm. Their sons prophesied. First Chronicles 25. Their sons prophesied. You know, you know symbols. Hmm. So we see that moreover David and the captains of the host separated to the service of the sons of Asaph and Haman and Jeduthun. So the leaders, even their sons. So it was like a common gift. The gift was in, in, in their family. Who prophesy with harps and psalteries and cymbals. Can you imagine? That means that you have to prophesy with the drums. You have to prophesy with the guitar. You know what it means to prophesy with it? You play it and demonic bondages are breaking. You pray it and you are communicating to God's people. You are prophesying with it. As you, that's the tabernacle of David. So you can just imagine how it was. They were playing all the instruments and they were prophesying with the cymbals and, and healings are taking place. And God is giving messages through the piano. And bondages are being broken. And spirits are being cast out. People are encouraged. So this then is under the prophetic ministry. Because harps and psalteries, they prophesy with it. For Elijah to prophesy, Elijah said, bring me a minstrel. Elisha. We have some of these things in the Bible. That was the tabernacle of David. Prison. And you know what David did? Do you know that angels don't sing? Angels don't sing. Hmm. <laughs> there are three categories of um, angelic host. You know, there was Lucifer. She was a morning star. He commanded one third of the angels. The Bible says that when he was cast down, he came down with one third of the angels. Revelation 12 is there. Michael also has his angels. Now, Lucifer cut one third, came down with them. So it was left with what? Two thirds. Michael has one third. Revelation 12 verse 7. So Lucifer had one third. Michael has one third. I believe the last one third is Gabriel. The first one third, Lucifer, they were the priests and worship 
angels. The second is Michael. They were the fighting angels. The third, I believe, is Gabriel. They were the seven angels. Now, because God works in threes. Lucifer, he was commanded. Now, when God made him, he was a one-man orchestra. All these instruments were in him. The Bible said so in Ezekiel 28, the workmanship of that pipes and tablets were indeed in the day that that was created. So when he lifted his hands, the pipe, the harp is manifested. And yeah, he was a one-man orchestra. They were built in him. So he was commanding all these angelic hosts to sing. So all the singing angels, when he fell, he fell with them. So he came down with the one-third and heaven was left with two-thirds. The only time the Bible says angels sang in the Bible was when the, earth, the foundation of the earth was laid in the pre-Adamic era, far before Adam. That's another message. It's in the book of Job's, Job. When the morning stars sang together, all the sons of God shouted for joy. That was the original earth. You know, Adam's world is not the original earth. There was an earth that was destroyed before Adam. Genesis 1 is not actually the creation. It's the renovation of the world. Yeah, it's another message. Look, don't worry. Bishop will settle all these things for you. <laughs> so, the rest of the Bible, there's no way you see that angels are singing. Check Revelation. All those who sing in heaven are the redeemed. Either the elders or the redeemed. They are the ones who are singing. When Jesus was born, the multitude of angels showed up and the Bible says they praised God singing, not they praised God singing. <laughs> yeah. You know why? The devil was not boasting that heaven has lost its worship and praise because it brought them down. So when David set the tabernacle of David on earth, they replicated on earth what heaven had lost. So when God was looking for worship, he now had to look down for worship. Because it was constant worship and praise which was done in heaven before Lucifer fell. And he fell with them and David replicated that on earth. And for that, he was a man after God's own heart. That is why the devil doesn't like, like you praising and worshiping. So Jesus says, out of, the, out of the mouths of babes, you are boasting? Jesus is saying, out of the mouths of babies and cyclings, God has perfected praise. They've taken your place. That thou might steal the enemy and avenger. You understand that verse? Aha. <laughs> His ministry is ended. God is now silencing him with babes and cyclings praising God. Aha. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. The devil doesn't like. Yeah. So you have to worship him real hard. The second example is Apostle Paul. Paul had a garment of praise. Garment of praise. Philippians, when, remember when Paul went to um, Philippi in Macedonia, which is recorded in Acts 16, when he was put into, into prison, Acts 16, we read 24 and 25. 
and who haven't received such a charge, thrust them into inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. Now, let me describe the scene, how it was. The Bible says that they were put in the inner prison. Say inner prison. Let me describe the, the Philippian inner prison, how it was. The rest, the prisoners are, um, the inner prison is like a down blow. It's beneath where the ordinary prisoners are. It's beneath them. So if this is a prison, the inner prison is under the prison. But you see, where all the prisoners are, their urine and their human waste, where it goes is the inner prison. So when you are in the inner prison, all of their urine and all of their human waste, it comes on you. That was the inner prison. So that's where they put Paul and Silas. The rest of the prisoners were up. Whether they were urinating, whether they were spitting, all of humans, <laughs> all the feces and the excrement and the diverse colors and diverse, it was it, it hit him. You think he's anointed? No, he's not anointed. Just <laughs> and his their feet were in stocks. And they began praising God. And they had, they were lacerations at their back. Because they had shaped them. And they are praising God. What did they know? What did they see? Why are you complaining of the small, small challenges you are passing through? Yeah. If you can praise God in such a situation, that is when your prayer, your praise amounts the most to God. The Bible says that let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving. There's thanksgiving, but there's a sacrifice. The sacrifice comes in when there's a situation in your life is so adverse, there's no feeling to give thanks, things are not going well, and you decide to give thanks in those situations. It is called a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Heaven is moved by, by such praise. And Paul and Silas, can you imagine? They didn't care. They were praising. Amalamada. By him, therefore, let us offer to God continually the sacrifice of praise. We offer continually. That's the garment of praise. Uh, let me show you what they sang. The Bible says they sang what? Praises. Now, they, 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 in the Greek, is the word hymnia. Is the, is the word for him. And in the Greek, is the word for Psalm 113118. That's the Greek word. So they praise God with Psalm 113118. That's the exact word in the Greek that describes, it is called um, the great Hallelujah. The great Hallel or the Pascal Psalm. That is what they were singing. Psalm 113 118. David wrote Psalm 113 118 when he was in the cave. And now these people are in prison. Just. <laughs> May you praise God in your most difficult situations. And you will experience, look at what they experienced. Back to Act 16 25. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the prisons the foundation of prisons were shaken and, and immediately immediately all the doors were opened there are two words here suddenly and immediately 
you want a suddenly miracle and immediately miracle begin to praise him not only their bounds their, their chains were loose the hope all of the prisoners everyone everyone back to verse 25 please everyone 26 everyone aha everyone not just them everyone hallelujah as Paul now praise has three effects one is God word the second is man word and the third is the third is Satan word man God word means it's toward God your praise has an effect God word toward God then man word towards man and Satan word towards Satan so what is the God word effect of praise your praise first of all benefit God benefit God Psalm 50 verse 23 whoso offered praise glorified me if you praise God you glorify him now in Acts 13 verse 1 and 2 and now they were in the church that was in at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and, and Manain, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul, as they ministered unto the Lord. You see, there is something called ministering unto God. A lot of Christians know about ministering for God, but few know about ministering to Him. There are some believers, the only thing they can offer to God is their service. But that's totally wrong. There is something he needs far before service. Uh, spending time and praising him. You minister to him. Praise God. You know, in the New Testament, there are two kinds of priesthood. We are priests, but our priesthood has two dimensions. 1 Peter 2 verse 5 and verse 9. 1 Peter 2 verse 5 says that we are holy priests. Uh -huh. And what we do is that we offer praises to God. Spiritual sacrifices to God as holy priests. Then verse 9 says we are royal priests. What we do is that we show to the world the praises, literally the virtues of our God. Whenever you are in the holies of holies and you are ministering to God, is the ministry of a holy priest. And when you are in the outer courts, ministering to the people, is royal priest. Many of God's people are doing the ministry of royal priesthood. They don't do the ministry of holy priesthood, ministering to God. But let me show you something. What is the reason for marriage? Assuming you married, you married and all that you're looking for is that someone will clean your house, Wash your dirty laundry. Put food on your table. Clean your house. And all of that. Giving you good food. Putting food on your table. Washing your dirty clothes. Cleaning your house. If that is the reason for marriage, then you don't need to marry. Because in all of this, you can hire someone to do it. Uh -huh. The reason for marriage is companionship. Companionship. So, if you do all of this for your spouse and there's no companionship, 
then there is no marriage. Praise God. Now, you can be doing these good things. And if you leave companionship, the very good things you are doing for your spouse will become repulsive to your spouse. <laughs> because of misplaced priority. It happened in the book of Isaiah. God said he was tired of their sacrifices. Tired of their offerings. He said it was an abomination, an offense to him. Why? Because they were working for him, but they had no time for him. So, there are people, apart from service to God, they have nothing to offer. No. Your praises first. So, God benefits from it. It's, it's priority. Number two, manward. Your praise actually profits you seriously. It profits you so much. Colossians 2, verse 7. Maroba Karaman. Verse 6. Let's start from verse 6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. How do you abound in faith? Thanksgiving. If you want your faith to abound, thanksgiving. The word abound is, is a word for abundance. The Greek word is perisio. Perisio in the Greek means it's a river that has overflown its banks. The Greek says over above, over above and beyond. Beyond necessary. Uh-huh. You abound in life by thanksgiving. Don't complain about your job. Give thanks. You, have, uh, you will abound in your work by thanksgiving. Abound in your marriage by, thans- by thanksgiving. Abound at where? Wherever you are, if you, if you stop complaining about your pocket and you give thanks about your pocket, you will abound in thanksgiving. Abundance and abounding comes with what? Thanksgiving. Praise God. The more you give thanks, the more you abound, and the more your faith abounds. Thanksgiving. Deuteronomy 28, Deuteronomy 28, verse 47. Because thou servest not the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart for the abundance of all things, therefore thou shalt serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send thee in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness. And this is the Old Testament, but there's a lot of lessons for us. In the Bible, joy is used interchangeably for praise. If you don't live your life full of joy and thanksgiving, he says you will serve your enemies. In the New Testament, your enemies are sicknesses, diseases, poverty, anxiety, depression. These are your enemies. Without praise, you serve them. All your money goes to the hospital. Poverty, without praise, you serve them. But praise will lift you up above them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Malachi 2 verse 2. Malachi 2. If ye will not hear, and if ye will not lay it to heart, to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already, because ye do not lay it to heart. 
He's saying that without thanksgiving, <laughs> giving glory to God is giving thanks. You know the way to preserve your blessing? Sometimes you see someone blessed, but after a while, the blessing is no more there. Everything is fine, but blessing can decay. Thanksgiving is to bless him what salt is to meat. Salt is a preservative. You can preserve your meat in the refrigerator. That's how thanksgiving is. Thanksgiving actually preserves your blessing. God says if you don't give glory, and glory is giving thanks, your blessing will be cursed. Now, the tenses in this verse actually is it's not that God is going to intentionally curse you. No, it happens automatically. So God has blessed you. Thank God. Thank God for your wife. Thank God for the letter you have in your pocket. Thank God. Don't compare yourself to others and become envious. Thank God for everything. What you have already, give thanks for it. That's how to preserve it. It preserves it and it brings multiplication. Yeah. Yeah. Your new position, give thanks for it. Thanksgiving preserves it. Hallelujah. When Elisha gave thanks and praised God with a minstrel, quickly there were answers. One of the surest ways to have quick answers is thanksgiving and praise. We cannot, we can use the whole day talking about the benefit of thanksgiving. You cannot overrate it. It's too much. Too much. Hallelujah. Satan word, Satan word. With Satan, whenever you praise, praise is a, is a spiritual warfare. It, it, it's a spiritual weapon that disengages the enemy. Praise. Psalm eight verse two said, "Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, thou hast what ordained strength, that thou, because that uh, that thou mightest still, still the enemy and the avenger." Look at this verse well. We know Jesus quoted it in Matthew 21, verse 16. And look at what Jesus said. And he said unto him, Hearest what these say? And Jesus said unto, the, unto them, Yea, have ye never read? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, David said, Thou hast ordained strength. But Jesus said, Thou hast perfected praise. So, ordained strength is perfected praise. Strength, dynamis, is praise. The dynamic power of God is praise. When you praise, you are releasing divine strength, the dynamis. Psalm 149, let's go to verse 6. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth, you see, and a two edged sword in their hand, that's the word. To execute vengeance upon the hidden and punishment upon the people. To bind kings and their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. To execute upon them the judgment that is written. This honor have all his sins. So when you praise, you bring judgment on witches and wizards and Satan and powers. Yeah. That's how to bind them in chains. So something is not going well with you. Some witches are chasing you. Something is happening. Just enter your room and start dancing. It, it, it works. It, it works too much. 
Hallelujah. Praise is what to do when you don't know what to do. When you feel like your answer, you're, you're, you don't even have faith to believe some, for something. You have to be careful with faith, but you don't have to be careful with praise. When you feel, I don't have faith to believe for something, just go and praise. Yeah, just go and praise. If we say that we are giving testimonies, we're not close. Yeah. Yeah. Now, but whenever you are praying, use what I call the sandwich technique. The sandwich technique. Sandwich. How many of you have eaten sandwich before? Sandwich. Yeah. Start with praising and end with praising. And bring your, your prayer topic, bring your needs in the, midst, in the middle of the, of the praise. When Jesus spoke of the, 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 the lost prayer, our Father which art in heaven, he began by praising. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's praise. And ended with, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. That's praise. Yeah. Jehoshaphat, when going for the battle, began with praise and brought forth his request and ended with praise. So always use the sandwich technique. Hallelujah. I believe in God for money. Go and dance. Go and praise. Huh? Go and praise. And I was traveling. I, I was going to go on a holiday with my wife. We have prepared to go. Even Father Joseph had come home. Everything is fine. But nobody knew that there was no money to travel. Even my wife didn't know. We were traveling somewhere for, for vacation. Just some days before, I had just gone to sow that money as a seed. So everyone was getting ready. And the money was not there. It was left with two days. It takes a lot of money where we're going. Ah, I entered. I just went to hide myself praising God. I just praised and danced a little. Within a few hours, money came from some country and another country. And from Bishop Oti. I didn't tell you. I'm telling you. Some, yeah. <laughs> and I had far, far more than what I needed. Just by praise. <laughs> praise. That's why I say that. It is what to do. When you don't know what to do. You have no faith for that sickness, start praising. Yeah. Your life has been threatened, start praising. Start praising. But the last verse I'll end with is that it's some... Hallelujah. Psalm 7 verse 17. All right. Um, of all our praise, there's one area we should never forget every day. Now, assuming that, please, can you come? Oh, and the one in the red. Assuming you are going to be executed, you are going to be executed, they are going to kill you publicly. The public death. 
because you've committed an offense. And this man comes. And I, I, I come and I said, no, I don't want you to die. I want my son to take your place. So I bring my son and I take you out. And you are there watching and my son is killed just for you. So you escape death because my son took your death. And after that, you walk away. You don't even talk to me. You don't say anything to me. How will you interpret it? Dishonor. Is the highest dishonor ever? Yes. You see, one thing we should be telling Jesus every day and the Father is thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. Because you see, he took your place. This is the height of of every praise. Thank you for the cross. Don't dishonor him by not saying thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. I'll praise the Lord according to his righteousness. The word according is not in the original text. So, I don't know what the Amplified said, said. Some versions put it like this. Okay, I'll give to the Lord the thanks due to his rightness and justice. It's also powerful. <laughs> I'll praise the Lord for his righteousness. One version says, I'll praise the Lord for his righteousness. Alright. Now the word praise in the Hebrew is the word confess. It's a word for confession. So literally, I'll confess God's righteousness. I'll confess the Lord's righteousness. The word praise. The first praise is confess, but the second praise is, is sing. Because there's two praise here. But the first one is the word for confession. Confess his righteousness. One of the ways to praise the Lord is to confess his righteousness. When you confess his righteousness, you are praising him. Hallelujah. Now, whenever you say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, it's praise to him. Now, there are different ways of praising his righteousness. Now, in Hebrews 13 verse 15, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips. Giving thanks to his name. Actually, the word is not giving thanks in the Greek. It's, it's homo logio. It's the word for confession. Thanks is eucharist. That's thanks. But the word here is homo logos. Homo is same. Homo sapiens. And logos is word. Confessing the word or saying the same thing. Okay. Ah, ASB is here. I wouldn't have said all of these things. Aha. Uh-huh. ASB says, which make confessions to his name. So one of the ways to praise God is this. You make confessions. Lord, you are holy. Lord, you are, you are righteous. Lord, you are faithful. You see, you are affirming his character. And who he is, is praise. Lord, you are faithful. Lord, you are faithful. You are praising him. Lord, you are holy. You are praising him. Lord, we thank you for this work coming into the building. <laughs> Hallelujah. Why are you angry at the smoke? Just thank God for the, pray, for the smoke. Hallelujah. No, you have to learn to give thanks for every situation. All things. I've preached that here some years ago. 
We have to go and look for that message. All things. Uh-huh. So Psalm 717, I will confess his rightness and justice. I will confess his righteousness. Now whenever you say Christ is my righteousness, oh Maramade, you are praising him. You are saying he's right. You understand it? That he might be just and a justifier of him that has faith in Jesus Christ. For the showing forth of his righteousness, for his being righteous, you are saying he's faithful. He brought me back to school. I affirm his faithfulness. I affirm his rightness. I affirm his justice. I affirm his integrity. That is what it means if you say you are his righteousness. And you are honoring, God is honored by that confession. You are honoring the cross. You are honoring his sacrifice. You are not putting your faith in your self-righteousness, but in what Jesus has done. Hallelujah. My, brother, my brothers and my sisters, I want you to put on the garment of praise. So, thank you, Jesus. In your day, your ordinary day, when you're on the road to work, whether you are driving, just be thankful. Just be thankful. Find something to thank God about. That's how to put on that garment. And the benefit of it is endless. It's, it's too much. Yeah. Your angels must, must be active. Your angels must be active. Whenever you have that garment, your life is different. And I, I'm praying that everyone here without this garment will put on this garment now. Like David, praising God in every situation. Thanking God in every situation. Now I want you to begin to thank God for whatever. Thank God for your life. Thank God for school. Thank God for roommate. Thank God for food. Thank God for breath. Thank God for where you are. Thank God for your pastor. Thank God for church. Thank God, thank God for your feelings that are not right. Thank God. Thank God. Without season. Hacking cough. Without season. And as you live that praiseful life, you are putting on that garment. The garment. That they may be called trees of righteousness. Oaks of righteousness. These are the fruit of righteousness. Oaks of righteousness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Maru Simbarabakar in the sea. Story in Gabashambari Handele. Just thank him. Just thank him. Just thank him. Beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise. For the spirit of heaviness. That they may be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord. That he may be glorified. When you do these things, he is glorified. If you are a tree of righteousness, the Father is glorified. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. Much fruit. The Father is honored when you are established in righteousness. Thanking God is a sign of humility. Thanking God is saying it's not by my might, it's not by my power, but by the Spirit of God. Put your angels to work. God bless you for listening. We pray that the word of God will be rooted and grounded in your heart as you give attention to the word. 
Kindly follow Pastor T and Love Economy Church on all social networks for more of God's Word. Don't forget to subscribe to the Pastor T Podcast. Simply search for Pastor T on any podcast app, plug in, and enjoy God's Word. Visit our website at loveeconomychurch.org for more information. God bless you.